let us read from Psalm 127, a song of essence of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labour in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain, in vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Keep that psalm open. I thought it was funny that Nigel said he's not accustomed to speaking in front of people, and so he sets a timer in case he goes over. Um, I am accustomed to speaking in front of people, and I don't care anymore if I go over, so <laughs> apologies for however long this is. But um, <clears throat> Psalm 127, it is uh, a psalm that looks at three basic act activities of human life, things that are relevant to every era of human history. And it shows the truth that we must be actively dependent on the Lord in every part of life, otherwise... Our lives will be pointless, restless, and fruitless. The three basic activities are building a house, protecting a city, and rearing a family. And to the Hebrew mind, in the Hebrew language that is, these could all be considered household activities. House building activities. Because the Hebrew word for house, bayit, can be used to speak about a family home, or a city, or a country, as in the house of Israel, or a dynasty, as in the house of David. Therefore, the three main activities of this psalm, constructing a building, securing a city, and parenting, are um, as different as they might seem, they're all linked by being household Activities. Solomon urges us to see God's providential control over them and to recognize that all our efforts will be in vain unless the Lord blesses us. And therefore, we need to live lives of dependence and trust in Him. Now this psalm is one of only two psalms in the entire Psalter, that's 150 psalms, one of only two ascribed to Solomon. Of Solomon. That means that this psalm is either written by him, or it's about him, or it's from his perspective. And so it is helpful for us to remember that King Solomon, the wisest, the wealthiest king in Israel's history, knew something about building a house. He knew quite a lot, actually. He has wisdom earned the hard way. According to 1 Kings chapter 9, over the course of 20 years, Solomon built two houses, actually. He built the temple of the Lord, and he built his own royal palace. He had been given a command by God to build the temple to exact specifications, and he gave it great care. He spared no expense in building it over the course of seven years. But his own palace, which the Lord had not commanded him to build, was much larger, and he spent 13 years on it. 
He also built and secured the whole house of Israel through powerful military campaigns. And uh, he defeated their enemies through massive building projects. He established their society. And, and through wildly successful economic treaties, he secured their prosperity. And yet, his nation-building required slave labor at a previously unheard-of scale. He paid for it through oppressively high taxation, and he amassed military equipment, chariots and horses, uh, for the defense of the people. And all those things were things that the Lord had specifically warned the kings not to do. And he also labored <clears throat> to build the house of David. The Lord had promised to establish the throne of his father David forever, and Solomon wanted to secure that promise. And so he married 700 wives, and he had 300 concubines. <clears throat> Many of those relationships were no doubt in order to secure political treaties with neighboring nations and people groups. But it wasn't just a political move. 1 Kings 11 reports that he also loved these women. He loved them so much that he built houses for their gods and worshipped alongside them. He loved them so much that he had and raised children by them who eventually split the household of Israel into two kingdoms. And so I think... We can imagine Solomon reflecting at the end of his life, realizing that as much as he has accomplished, as great as his peers thought him to be, and they did think he was great, that the majority in his thought, the majority of his labors, had been spent in vain. Because somewhere in the midst of his toiling, in the midst of his achieving, he had turned away from the Lord. And, and therefore, by the end of his life, he began to see all that he had worked for, all that he had labored for, crumbling before his eyes. His family line had descended into war between his sons. His kingdom was divided between north and south. His temple was used by only a fraction of God's people rather than the whole earth. His nation became an easy target for the enemy nations that surrounded them. And, and so I think the, the words of this psalm can be read and understood, understood as being written and sung with a conviction that comes from wisdom learned the hard way. And the first thing that Solomon wants us to see is the pointlessness, the pointless building. Verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Building and watching, conserving and creating our work and our security. Solomon is telling us that apart from the Lord's blessing, all of these things are going to be pointless in the end. The word translated as in vain means meaningless, false, an illusion, 
It's not the same word used in Ecclesiastes to mean vapor or breath, as in to emphasize the, the temporary nature of life. This is uh, more of an illusion. It'd be used to talk about something that looks substantial, but in reality is not much of anything at all. <clears throat> the image that comes to mind is that of a movie set. And down the road from where my church meets, at, out in Saikung, we have Shaw Studios. And in Shaw Studios, on the lots of, of the warehouse there, where it, it would look like there are entire city streets built, and, and entire landscapes there. But if you were to push on one of the buildings, it would wobble. And if you were to go over to one of these big boulders that they have on set and kick it, your foot would go right through because it, it looks substantial, but it's nothing. It's paper mache and foam. And Solomon says that that is what all human attempts to build and secure our lives amounts to. Special effects, no real substance. Jesus taught the same thing, didn't he? He told the parable of the, the two houses in Matthew 7. You'll remember it, of course. The, the person who shows his dependence on the Lord Jesus and his word, he builds his house on, on a rock. And when the storms of life came, the, the house on the rock stood firm. But the person who asserts their independence from Jesus by building their lives on, I don't know, society's expectations? Or what family members say? Their own desires? On any other surface, that person is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the, the rains came down and the floods came up and the house on the sand went... Anyone know the children's song? Splat, right? Simple as that. The house on the, the sand went splat. Not only a life that is built on full dependence on the Lord will be solid and secure. If we're going to build a meaningful life that can withstand the storms that will inevitably come, notice that the, the storms come on both houses, uh, no matter what. But if we're going to build a life that will stand, the Lord must be at the very center of it. His word must be the foundation of it. Otherwise, special effects. Unless the Lord blesses, we labor in vain. But not only is building our lives with anything other than the Lord at the center pointless, but it will also make us restless. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. I guess most of us have been through times when we have had to give acutely hard work to some project or some task. And we should expect to put some extra hours in at work once in a while. Of course, those things are necessary once in a while. But what Solomon is talking about is a way of life characterized by anxious toil. 
It's the person who cannot fall asleep at night as their mind whirs with all the tasks yet to be done. I was chatting to uh, one, of, uh, one of you earlier this afternoon, talking about how colleagues are dropping like flies because they cannot step away from work. And so they crash out. It's the person who wakes up early and they immediately go straight to their email inbox to deal with the issues of the day that have arisen overnight. They're the first in the office, they're the last out, they're burning the candle at both ends, and when the world sees that, they might call them a workaholic, they might call them ambitious, but when God sees them, he calls them a fool. Well, they think, with enough effort and attention, I can control the situation. I just need to put a bit more in and I can anticipate, I can solve the problems, but all they're really doing is exhausting themselves. A more literal translation of verse 2 is, In vain you rise early and delay rest, eating anxious bread. And so the point is that even the fruit of their labor is tainted by anxiety. It's the bread of anxious toil. It's a kind of enslavement. And you know, if the world is not ordered by the Lord's good providence, then it does make sense to restlessly toil like that. Because everything is up to me. Now, I have to look after myself, I have to look after my loved ones with a, a Herculean effort, because if I miss one opportunity, if I have a moment of distraction, it could all come crumbling down. I learned something about this mindset from the world of adoption and foster care. Because when a child is constantly on edge because they have never had a consistent and trustworthy adult in their lives to look to, to provide for them, it's called hypervigilance. They have a need to feel in control because nobody else is looking out for me. So I need to make sure I have all the food that I need. I have all the protection that I need. I'm looking out for me because nobody else is. And that is what people who have never known the consistent and trustworthy presence of the Lord in their lives must be like. They must become hypervigilant as well. But it is a crushing way to live. Not least because God has made us as the kind of creatures that need to sleep for one-third of every single day. And he could have made us in such a way that we never need rest, we never tire. But he didn't make us like that. And why didn't he make us like that? Why did he give us a biological need to, to be unconscious and vulnerable every day for many hours in order to survive? Well, I think it's to show us how dependent we are on him. To keep us humble. We, we can only fight a creaturely need for rest for so long until we burn out or break down 
And then the Lord will get his Sabbath one way or another. All at once, over the course of months or years, or every week, but he'll get his Sabbath. And one day or another, we will find that we must rest. But if, but if the Lord is watching out for us, if he's watching over our lives, if it's him who grants us safety, if it's him that grants us security, well then we can rest. For he grants sleep to those he loves, says Solomon. And that is such a wonderful truth. It's one of these um, lines from the Psalms of Ascent that's become a kind of mantra for me to repeat to myself and to others. The Lord grants sleep to those he loves. Because when I'm worried about something, this is the message that I need to hear. Now Solomon is not just saying that Christians can sit back and relax because uh, they don't need to do anything. No, builders need to build and, and guards and you need to guard and parents need to parent and everyone else needs to work. Work is good according to what God has said in the scriptures. Instead, he's giving us, I think, a, a kind of test to check how we're doing with our active dependence on the Lord. You know, if we're consistently so absorbed in the pressures of work that we cannot sleep, if we are so wound up with uh, our children that we can't relax, if we are so concerned about politics that we cannot stop doom-scrolling through the news feed, well, that shows that we are spiritually sick. And we're acting like there's no God. We're living like functional atheists. But it is without reason. Because God loves all who have faith in Christ. And so we, when we take that test and, and we hold our lives up against it, we should repent of our restlessness if that's our situation. The Christian who's trusting the Lord and dependent on Him will be able to rest. We will be diligent at the office, but then we'll spend unhurried time with family and friends. We'll have an attitude towards life that shows that it doesn't all depend on us because it doesn't all depend on us. The Lord establishes the work of our hands. He, he controls whether we succeed or not, whether we advance or not, whether we're honored or not. And so all we have to do is be faithful in the way that we live. Work and rest in a way that is pleasing to Him. And the same is true for other 
household activities as well. Parents, we work ourselves up about uh, giving our children all the right opportunities, and so we want them to go to the right school. We want them to go to the right church, ambassador church, obviously. We, we, we want them to have the right extracurricular activities, and, and so on and so on. And yet, as much as we might try, we cannot control the outcome of our children. The children at the most prestigious private schools and in the, the biggest, buzziest youth groups in the city, their lives still sometimes go off the rails. And they make a, a wreck of things. Helicopter parenting doesn't work. And, and the kids who have never had a private tutor, who've only gone to the, the public, the local school, and, and who were the only children in church growing up. And they maybe were taken against their will every week. Children like that still grow up to become faithful Christians. Isn't that good? We cannot control the outcome. But the Lord can. He's in control. And so in your parenting, be faithful to him. Trust him with the outcome. Whether you're wealthy or poor, you can be faithful. You can disciple them. You can encourage them. You can talk to them. You can discipline them. You can show them compassion and care and repent when you wrong them and pray for them. And then... You can rest. If we love the Lord, then our goals are the Lord's own goals, and therefore they are sure to be accomplished. Who's going to hinder the Lord and his goals? And the reality is that the Lord can accomplish more while you sleep than you can accomplish in 24 hours of constant toil. So take the kids swimming, enjoy a hobby, have a lion, go on a retreat, do nothing but worship and fellowship on a Sunday, host a dinner party, read a book for enjoyment, and choose to rest knowing that you have a Father in heaven that cares for you. Jesus said, consider how the wild flowers grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow and thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And then the, the third household activity, fruitless parenting. Solomon says that apart from the Lord's blessing, life is pointless, restless, and fruitless. In verses 3 to 5, he turns to the child rearing as perhaps the clearest place where active dependence on the Lord is necessary. 
in Hebrews verse 3, sorry, <laughs> not Hebrews, in the Hebrew, in verse 3, it says, Behold, as if to say, look at this. Here's an example I'll hold up for you and give it your full attention. Behold. See what he says. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. A heritage or inheritance is a blessing given to someone who has not earned it. A reward is a blessing given to someone who has earned it. And Solomon says that children are both. They are an unearned blessing from God because however much someone uh, might want a child, they are not a product that can be produced on demand. In addition to all the known reasons why someone might not have a child, whether that's a lack of a spouse or a medical problem or advanced age, there are a surprising number of couples who are unable to have children for unknown reasons. And my wife and I are among them. And according to the scriptures, that is not a result of random chance, as much as it might feel like that is. It is not a result of random chance. Rather, the Lord alone distributes children to whomever he pleases. Children are also a reward. Because the end result of the adults that they become is in large measure a product of the hard work of birth, uh, birthing labor, uh, of constant care, of discipline, of attention and education. They are, in a sense, a blessing that needs to be earned. And so they are a good gift that demands work and an incredible blessing that requires labor. One commentator, Derek Kidner, puts it like this. He says, it's not untypical of God's gifts that first there are liabilities, or at least responsibilities, before they become obvious assets. The greater their promise, the more likely that these sons will be a handful before they become a quiverful. And that is true, isn't it? It is so often how God's blessings work in our lives. The things that he gives us that so often seem like our biggest liabilities that are distracting us from what we really want. We're really trying to achieve something, but this thing in my life is really preventing it right now. And it's keeping me from pursuing what I want. And yet as we accept them, we, be, we come to find that they become our greatest assets. It's true for the hardships that we go through that end up making us more Christ-like. It's true for the sorrows that we experience, that however painful uh, and however um, painful they, they make us turn away from temporary things to eternal things, the things that cannot be taken away. And it's true for children that at first seem to require more from you than you have to give 
And yet, in the end, they become a blessing whose value cannot be overstated in your life. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, they become a person's strength, a person's defense. And so, as we come to the end of this psalm, we're faced with two ways to live. And that is so often the the result of wisdom literature in the scriptures. It sets out two options before us, and Solomon says, choose between independence in your life and dependence on the Lord. Choose a life of independence from God, and you're sure to find pointlessness, restlessness, and fruitlessness at the end of it. He is He was the the wisest man who ever lived, and and, uh, that is what he found out the hard way in his life. If anybody could have made it work, it would have been Solomon, wouldn't it? He had every resource. He should have been able to live an independent life and and make a, a prosperous result of it if anybody could, and yet he comes to the end of his life and he warns us lesser mortals, don't make my same mistake. Please. But choose a life of active dependence on the Lord, putting Him and and His Word at the center of everything you're doing. Making His pleasure your greatest ambition in life, and not something else, but His pleasure. And what will be the result of that? It will look like working with purpose, knowing that you are pleasing the Lord with your labors because you're working for Him. It will look like being content to simply rest when others around you are destroying themselves with work because you know that the Lord watches over your life. It will look like trusting that all the liabilities and responsibilities that God has given you will, over time, become your greatest assets. That's how the Lord works. So don't despair. The Lord is watching over your life. He has promised to bless His people. In every circumstance, We can look to him for provision. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you care for us, that we are not left to fend for ourselves, that you watch over our lives. Lord, keep us from laboring in vain. Keep us from investing our time and our energy in the things that you would call us away from. Lord, I pray that you would show each one here where perhaps they have departed from keeping your your word and, and you at the center of their work lives, of their family lives, their social lives. Would you, by your spirit, convict them in that, convict us in that, Help us to see what needs to change 
to make your pleasure our greatest ambition. Give us that conviction that that, that is where the life of purpose, of, of fruitfulness comes from. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.